Welcome to It's an Honor Just to be Podcasted, a highly opinionated experiment in tricking my husband into giving a fawn's worth about award shows. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Are we doing a Futurama episode? Because I know a lot about Futurama. I mean, we could if you want to talk but about But I'm it. Alexander Price, and I know a lot about Futurama. Yes, you do. I'm, and I'm also Chris Verbaseal, so I'm here as well. So... You may or may not have guessed, based off of the little hints that I, we've trickled in. We're doing a Matt Groening show. Yes, you know, the show's going to be entirely about Matt Groening. Hooray! Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> but, uh... I know. But in a similar vein, he has won a lot of these. We're going to be talking about Emmys. Hmm. Yeah, I know. One of my least favorite award shows. Is it really? Yeah, it really is. Uh, before we go into this, tell me. So, I remember, because I, you know, I did watch a lot of um, award shows growing up, mm-hmm. contrary to what I might say on this podcast your persona that you're embodying here yes no i did actually watch a lot of them growing up and the emmys even as a kid i was like this is boring what was it about it was was it about us i think it was a way that they the show ran like Mm. i was a kid that wanted the tonys or the grammys or the academy awards where like it was more spectacle yeah i think like tonys you had musical performances right academy awards it was like uh, you know, Hollywood's Hollywood gl- glamorous costumes and you saw a little bit of movies and I was more aware. And even though I watched a little TV as a kid, obviously, though, it wasn't TV that I was watching that was being nominated. Probably not. So whereas the, you know, Academy Awards was stuff I had seen because I was a precocious child who went and saw like Braveheart at six or whatever it was. <laughs> so was I. I was a very precocious yeah, I imagine. Yes, anyway, surprisingly, so the I was a precocious The talk. boring, boring Emmys. Yes. Tell me um, about it. We are going to, as we go on, talk specifically about the final seasons of TV shows and how they relate. They, okay. And how the Emmys relate to them. We're going to real surgeon, like, scalpel this. Just a little bit. And the, I'm pretty sure you could guess why I'm bringing this up, because the Emmy nominations came out recently. They just came out, yeah. And what was most of the news, other than the good things... Oh, Game of Thrones? Yes, yeah. there you go. Game of Thrones Game of getting Thrones. A, an award for everything, for uh, no reason? For multiple categories of things. It, it's insane, we will get into that. But that it made me think about how they relate to the final seasons of things. So, we're going way back into the Wayback Machine. And we're going to talk about television. It's a really oh. impressive sound effect, actually. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm doing some Foley work. Yeah, no, that was nice. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So this is going to be, this is a very complicated topic. I'm going to just do a couple footnotes. The first electrical television technology was uh, created as a concept in 1897. In 1851, there was a mechanical version, but it only transmitted still images. The first actual image using this technology was in 1907. A Russian scientist, Boren Rosling, used a CRT and receiving end of an experimental video signal to form a picture, he managed to display simple geometric shapes onto the screen. Ooh, a triangle. There's a square. Yeah. What about a circle, though? There, I'm not going to go into it. Because Please don't. there's this whole different thing between a mechanical television and an electronic television. One is my butler that brings me cocktails. <laughs> and which one's that? The mechanical TV. Okay. It's an automaton. And what does TV stand for in this place? Tommy Vodka. It stands for Tommy Vodka. <laughs> There's a lot of explanations about the difference between two. We really oh, don't need to go into it. Please don't. Uh, f- in looking at television sets, the first ones were built in 1928. Then they were mechanical. And they were the entire wall of the room. Um, I'm about to show you something that you the, will make. The entire wall of the room, but the TV was all of six inches wide. Oh, it, 
that will be the first electrical set. Oh, okay. I'm going to show you a picture of the first mechanical one. It's Tommy a, Vodka? A television. Version 1.0? Yes. A television system that relies on a mechanical scanning device, such as a rotating get disc with holes in it, or a rotating mirror, to scan a scene and generate the video signal to a similar uh-huh. mechanical device and receiver to display a picture. So it was and a this, one-to-one? And this is the advertisement <gasps> for what it looked like. Oh my gosh, hold on, let me see. Yeah. Let me describe to yes. our loyal audience. So imagine a old-timey telephone where the receipt, you know, where the receiver is like, hello, Klondike 534. That is how you describe something. That and that's where you look. Mm-hmm. But behind it is just a record. It's just a record. It reminds me almost like you have a flip book, but all the images are put on one section of a wheel and you spin it kind oh, of Oh, no, you're thinking of a viewfinder. Yes. W- that we were children. I don't know if we have adults listening or children listening. <laughs> but when we were children, Disney had a ton of these things where it was like a disc with pictures and it was your own personal slideshow. And that's not unlike what this is, <laughs> except this lady has like a device where she gets to turn it. And also there's a tune in Tokyo radio next to it. Yes, and that is apparently the first mechanical one in 1928. Tommy Vodka. Every time? Every time. Great. This is is new new, um, Pulitzer Pulitzer. Great. The first mass-built television set was in 1946. This was in electronic form using cathode ray tubes. Okay, CRT. I know what CRT is. Oh, and I didn't realize this, but color became first possible to transmit Uh in 1953. Huh, it was just... It's just that they didn't... The sets that it would receive on were so expensive, most people couldn't do it. Right. And most people didn't even bother. Right. But the technology existed. The technology then. existed. Well, of course the technology existed because Wizard of Oz and stuff. Right. But that was on film projected. This was that they were able to send color. Correct. Over but what place. I'm saying is I wouldn't be surprised if those right. things were like, oh, well, if we have this, I bet we could try this. But it's that kind of thing where, yeah, we can do it, but it's so expensive. Like, remember how... External hard drives used to be, like, the most expensive things in the world. Oh, yeah. And enormous and, like, bulky and you would break – touch it and it would break. Yeah. And now it's, like, $10 to get, like, 8 terabytes of data. Yeah. It's the same thing. And it was about the size of a nickel. And it's the size of a buffalo nickel. Yes. An old JFK half dollar. <laughs> is that what they're actually called? A hay penny. I don't no, know. No, no. no it, it was a JFK half dollar. It was a JFK, but I thought that was a full dollar. Mm, half dollar. Okay. Going quickly – that was just in the television sets. Going quickly to – the technology of broadcasting. WRGB claims to be the world's oldest television station, tracing its roots to an experimental station founded on, ni- on January 13th, 1928. It's me, WJRJB or GB? RGB. It's me, WRGB. That stands for red, green, blue, because those are the only colors we can transmit. Jeez. Uh, this is actually kind of cool, I think. It's broadcasting from the General Electric factory in Schenectady, New York, under the call letters W2XB. The whole point of this was that they were sending out signals to try to see how far they could reach and what areas have the ability to reach it. It was popularly known as WGY Television after its sister radio station. And in 1928, General Electric started a second facility, this one in New York City, which had the call letters W2XBS, which today is known as... NBC. Oh, so NBC was the first... WNBC, in 1928, was established by General Electric. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, These were experimental nature, as I said. No actual programming. They were just... Signals. Signals. But the signal was an image of Felix the Cat 
rotating a doll of it, rotating on a turntable that was broadcasting for two hours every day for several years as they could continue to figure out the technology, see how far it could span. Terrifying. Yes. Could you imagine having a TV set? <laughs> I don't know why you would. You didn't. No, they, I yeah. understand. But imagine a world where you'd like, oh, well, I'm going to, and you turn it on and all you see is a oh, stuffed oh. Felix the cat on a turntable for two hours. Mm-hmm. Well, it's haunted, obviously. Well, obviously. And I think that's why there are a slew of mass murders that happened during this time. <laughs> that year. Yeah. <laughs> on November 2nd, 1936, the BBC began transmitting the world's first public regular high-definition service okay. from the Victorian Alexandra Palace in North London. It claims, because it was actually a public Public, thing, where people could actually that it was the hack birth- into. Exactly. That it was the birthplace of TV broadcasting as we know it today. With their mechanical TVs. So, I want to just point out one thing. Okay, I'm about to talk about the Emmys. When do you think, because remember I said that, that the first mass-produced television sets became available in 1946. Okay. When do you think the first Emmys would be, or the... Uh, organization that does the emmys would be established 1944 <laughs> you're no. actually close oh really 1946 cheesy crazy yep the it's a los angeles based academy of television arts and sciences established the emmy award as a image building and public relations opportunity oh, for television so it was a propaganda machine yes now, think oh. about it for a second. Movies existed for decades before the Oscars. So they knew what they were, like, about. Yes. They they were very much like, hey, people, television, that's and a thing. When were the Academy Awards first? What was the first? 1928. Year? Or 1927, 1928. Okay. And so they had been around for a couple, movies had been around for a couple and think about it. Theater had been in the United States, let alone the world, sure. for a long, long time. People were used to the idea of theater. They were used to the idea of movies. Sort of, but the Tonys didn't even exist until after the Emmys did. No, what it, which I is mean, crazy. crazy. But what I mean is, people were used to the idea of... Theater, why should it be celebrated? Yeah, and, inter- and like it being part of their life. So it's like, oh, it's the same thing, but it's on at home. Yeah. I can understand that. So it was established in 1946 by this name. Do I need to read it? Nope. Sid Kazid. Sid Kazid. Let me see. I don't look at Christopher's notes before we do this. No. Sid Kazid. And it's not spelled how you would ever think. Nope. There's it's a lot of Ys. Two Ys in it. <laughs> it looks like Sid Cassie D. Just Orange, purple drink. <gasps> Cassie D. <laughs> anyway, it was established by him and five charter members. Shadow government. It was called the Emmy because, and this is to show. Oh, no. These, no, before you say, it's always the worst explanation. I I hope it's what? normal. Yes. The, the, the Oscars. Oscar one, yeah, the Oscar one was weird. The Oscars. No, no, but the Tonys the was The Tonys cute. was cute. The Oscars was the worst. No, this one is nerdy like I've never okay. heard. Okay. Okay. So, Sid Kazid originally suggested <clears throat> that it be called Ike. I-K-K-E. Bad. The nickname for the television iconoscope tube. No, these are bad. This the is Ikes. apparently these are names that the like, people who create television knew because they were science nerds. So and so the television iconoscope tube, everyone just called Ike, the Ike tube. Okay, that's fine, but I wouldn't and call it, it an awards yes. the Ikes. However, they the reason they chose not to use it just I think it sounds terrible. It does sound but terrible. They decided that it didn't work well. 
because of somebody named Dwight D. Eisenhower. That same year. Who was uh, famous at the time for being a World War II hero and would later become president of the United States. And everyone knew his name as Ike. Ike. Later when he was running for president. I like Ike. We like Ike. I like Ike. So they decide, oh, that'll be confusing. So they wanted something unique. So finally, a television engineer and third Academy president, Harry Lupke, suggested the name Emmy, I-M-M-Y. Like the images? Like the images award? A term commonly used for the image image <sighs> orthicon tube oh. used in the early cameras. So again, it's about another tube. They love them tubes. And then... Love be- them tubes. Because they had already decided that the statuette would feature a female, they decided to then name Make it, it a name. Emmy... Because that's a more feminine name. Well, that's also a person's name. Yeah. I don't think, like, the only name you would ever shorten to Emmy would be, like, Imelda. But even them, I think it would be, like, Emmy. It would still probably be, like, Emmy. Yeah. It's really interesting that a lot of these, almost all of them, are named after, like, a female name. Tony and Emmy, not Oscar. No, but, I mean, a a person's name in general. It's interesting. Sure. Oscar was the worst. Yeah. If you'll recall, dear listener. Why? Oscar was named because the statue model looked like a person's uncle that they once saw naked. Why would you share that information? Moving on from that disturbing image, th- the image of this statuette uh, depicts, according to them, what the intention is, a winged woman holding an atom. Oh, it's supposed to be an atom? Yes, because they're science nerds. Uh, I mean, it always yeah. looked like the like a globe. I, I was never entirely like, sure what it was supposed to be. It looked like to me mm-hmm. the like connections between TVs and like yeah, the, the, what it means to exist in the world and how far it could reach. Right. Yeah. It was designed by a television engineer Louis also, McManus because there's no electrons or anything on it, so it no, wouldn't be it, an am- so it wouldn't be an atom if there was an electron. Well, if they simplified it. I guess, but you think if they were real science nerds, they would have put, like, what? Is there hydrogen in those tubes? What's in those tubes? You're asking me questions I don't know the answer to. Well, you are you just said you were science-y. Uh, did okay. I? Okay, if it was hydrogen, they would have put a uh, electron. Mm-hmm. Because I know my periodic table. Yeah, but you don't know your television tubes. No, because I'm not a television <laughs> scientist! I know, I know, I know. It was designed by television engineer Louis McManus. The engineer designed the statue? Yes. They had no right. Uh, and he used his wife as a model. Oh, no. Yes. Th- which, you know, good for him. He that probably married. got him a lot of points. Yes. Because that statue is teeny tiny. Yeah. The Television Academy rejected 47 proposals before settling on his design in 1948. It has since become the symbol of the TV Academy's goal of supporting and uplifting the art and science of television, which then goes to indicate, uh, you know how, with the Emmys, there's one night that's not aired. The technical technical Emmys. And then the other night is the artistic side. Oh, so there's an art night and a science night. That's the original idea. And then all the science night things got the shaft. Yeah, pretty much. And then they started putting some art things that people were like, no one's going to want a televised thing. I don't need about sound editing. (laughs) The statue weighs six pounds, 12 and a half ounces, is made of a combination of copper, nickel, silver, and gold. The, it is a huge statue. Yeah, it's really big. Yeah. They seem to have a lot of problems holding it when they accept it. Yeah, it is 15.5 inches tall with a base diameter of seven and a half inches 
and a weight of 88 ounces. And there's no mini mini Emmy for the children and Shirley Temple winners? No, but there is a slightly mini Emmy for all the regional Emmys. They are actually smaller. A Mimi? (laughs) Sure. That one is only 11 and a half inches tall. That's still big. Yeah. Each Emmy apparently takes, but individually, Uh five and a half hours to make. That's not surprising because it's actually for uh, a statuette. It's Mm. quite delicate and complicated. And and it seems like it takes a lot of skill. As opposed to like the Tony, which is like, blurg, kind of. And then the, um, not the Academy Award, the uh, Golden Globe. Yeah. Which is like the spinny one, right? No, it's just, it's a globe on a tall pedestal. Okay. It's the Tony that's a spinny one. The Tony is a spinny one. Mm -hmm. The actor one is the mask, which is (laughs) a lot. Yeah. Oh, and each statuette has to be only held, not by the winner, but by anyone else otherwise with it, wearing only white gloves Uh, in order to prevent fingerprints. Smudges. And they legally say, Anytime the image of the Emmy is shown, anytime you show an Emmy sitting on a table, it has to legally be facing left. Because that was her good side? Because they decided that that, that is their image. and So it has to be facing left, so the atom is to the left. Right. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mainly just because they decided that was the way but that they But on camera, it, it would be right. Because that's how... Yeah, that's how I always see it. If it's facing left, and you're watching it on TV, it would be going right. Okay, I'll take your word for that one. What? I'm just saying this is legally what the way they say okay. they have to I'm do I'm just it. saying I feel like I've only ever seen where the like thing on the TV is going up and to the right. Yeah. Not up and to the left. Like it's moving forward into the future, not backwards into the past. But spinning, spinning towards freedom? Yes. Great. Back to the Simpsons. Yay! It's a thorough line. I'm going to go through the history as fast as I can on this one because it is insane. The first Emmy Award ceremony took place on January 25th, 1949 at the Hollywood Athletic Club, but solely to honor shows produced and aired locally in the Los Angeles area. What? Okay. Tickets were $5 at the time. Expensive? Because that, in today's money, is like $170. (laughs) Probably closer to like $300, but sure. Oh, gosh, Christopher, I'm trying to... I know. (sighs) I know. Uh, Shirley Dinsdale was the very first winner that evening. She was a ventriloquist, uh, and her dummy was named Judy Splinters. No, thank you to any of that. I don't like yeah. any doll, really. So, okay. I, yes. While we take this quick sojourn down Alexander Spears. I was going to get through this quickly. No, 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 no. The audience wants us. Okay. This is what they tuned in for. My <laughs> anecdotes and jibes. Okay. I don't like ventriloquists, and I don't know if it was preempted because of seeing a Goosebumps cover with the ventriloquist dummy on it. It was the very first or second one. It was like the second, second one. one. Yeah, the first one was the Monster House. Yes. And it every book fair was ruined for me because of that. But I don't like ventriloquists. I don't like dolls. I don't like life-size dolls. I don't like it. I don't like it. You can continue now. Thank you. You're welcome. In uh, the 1950s, the uh, they expanded the Emmys to being more of a national event. Presenting awards to shows that aired nationwide on broadcast television. In 1955, the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences was formed in New York City hmm. as a sister organization to serve members on the East Coast and also to help supervise the Emmys. So they were like, we don't trust you, L.A. We're going to have our own. It was basically, we're also broadcasting. What the hell? NBC. Yeah. What are you doing over there? And so the Natas, as they no. to be called. Uh, 
Yeah. No. They also bad name. Well, because the the one in L.A. was the Attas. Oh no! So the, American Television Awards, and these are the National American Television Awards. Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, so Attas. And the and National I, Academy of Television and Sciences. Yes. Oh no! <laughs> you guys needed more creatives in the room. They were nerds. They, I'm telling you, these nerds. are the, these are some most delightful nerds. Wow! They can't name anything to save their lives. Well, their nerdy, nerdy lives. It was the Natas, the ones from New York. That established regional chapters of this in the United States okay. to create their own regional Emmys. Because they were... <laughs> mm, you know how they love? Regional things. Yeah. But, you know, regional Emmys still exist today. Do they? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Regional Emmys still exist today. It's primarily forms uh, daytime television, like children's programming. Okay. Oh, And, and news organizations. Sure. So a lot of news organizations win, like, regional Emmys. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Because you're not giving it to, like, Phoenix... Phoenix uh, broadcasting of this amazing children's show is not going to be out there yeah. in L.A. Yeah. or New York to okay. be up for stuff. That makes sense. I just, I guess I don't think about it. Yeah. So it's actually kind of cool. So, is that done with history? Not quite. Oh, my gosh. Originally, there was only one Emmys Award ceremony held per year to honor shows nationally broadcast in the United States. But in 1974, they decided to split and create the daytime Emmys. Okay. Which, because there were so many soap operas? Be- At that time? Yes, but also just television was expanding in ways that they weren't originally thinking of. Sure. They thought, yeah. They thought like, oh, we'll just do the biggies. And then they basically went, well, these soap operas aren't being considered for best drama or anything like that. Right, but so many housewives are watching it at home. Exactly. Because that's really what, and this sounds really sexist in today's terms, I think, but that's what a lot of that daytime, the the market for daytime television was, was... um Sadly, it still is. If you yeah, actually but it's it's. I did some research. It's programming on it for this. women and programming for young young children. Yeah, is daytime television. Yeah, because they're that's who they assume will be home. Exactly, and it was around this time that they also established the the regional Emmys. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have to go into this. Please don't. There's also the international Emmys, which was established in the seventies. That's bizarre. For honoring television programs produced and initially aired outside the U.S. But the U.S. is still the U.S. People are still in charge of. Not really. Okay. It's almost like if the BAFTAs had something that had Emmy logos on it, but it was for all around the world. In 1977, due to various conflicts, the Atas and the Natas agreed to split. Atta Nata Tuture. Yes. So there's this Persian song <laughs> that I learned as a child, and it's. I had a feeling this might get. Okay, go. But it was Atamata Tuture, Chechure, right? So now yeah. whenever you said when you say Atanata, I all I have for like now in my head, sorry, you're gonna just hear me thinking Maybe do that. Sorry. Oh, if you didn't know, listener, I'm Persian. As you could tell. As you can tell by my very traditional Persian voice. Yes. Uh, the long and short of it is they split. They decided that the Atas would remain in charge of the Emmys. Both had rights to the images. Sure. But the... Natas. Uh, that basically everything would be united under the single Emmy Award. In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. The one exception was the Natas in New York can still give engineering awards as like a regional thing. Mm. But all the regional stuff also went under the... 
No, the regional stuff still to this day remains kind of its own thing. Oh, okay. But it was just these these two major heads. One is now more kind of paying, paying attention to the regional things, and one is like the figurehead of mm-hmm. the Emmys. Mm-hmm. And the little details, cable television coming around in the 80s. The first time they became eligible for Emmys was in 1988. Daytime Emmys in 1989. Always dragging their feet about new media. I know, those nerds. In 2011, ABC Television Network canceled the soap operas All My Children and One Life to Live and sold the two shows' licensing rights to the production company Prospect Park so they could be continued on web television. So this prompted the Natas to create a new Daytime Emmy category in 2013 ceremony for web-only series. and the Atas, Because of soap operas. Yes. Huh. And the Atas began accepting original online-only web television programs in 2013. So, so far behind. It is, but, okay, so that's the history. <sighs> so sorry. Yeah, thank you for apologizing to me. I am so sorry. So let's talk a bit about voting for the Emmys. Let's talk about voting. Go out and vote. Register. Register. Oh, please, please. Yes. <laughs> please, please. This is uh, from the Emmys website. That they consider the Emmys, the award of it is for peer recognition. Mm. Meaning, they're, for once, they're actually not saying it's about outstanding arts or anything. This is about people in the industry rewarding people in the industry. This is for people I, in the industry patting themselves on the back. Yes. Wow, at least one board is honest <laughs> and upfront about this. I know, it really is. And what's really interesting is this year in particular, I read a number of articles talking about the fact that, especially in the comedy category... There's been a lot of good nominees that have finally entered the field that were ignored in previous years, like Schitt's Creek and Fleabag and stuff like that. More independent kind of stuff. And they said it's like, oh, for once people actually watch shows and didn't just vote for their friends. Wow. But yes, also true. Yes. Um, You have to be submitted in order to qualify for this. So, remember, we talked a little bit about this Game of Thrones. Because of Game of Thrones. uh, So, so Gwendolyn Christie. I can explain this. Okay. They submitted pretty much everyone, seemingly, because they all got nominated. The one person they specifically didn't submit, which was, is nonsense, which is ridiculous, um, is Gwendolyn Christie, who plays Brienne of Tarth. She was quite open about this that she actually submitted herself to be uh, um, considered, considered, and won a nomination from that, which yeah. is kind of crazy. Yes. So you can submit yourself, or a network can submit you. Mm-hmm. But unlike with the Pulitzer, they don't just like, oh, this show. They just go and see and they... Right. Yeah. Unless you bribe them. (laughs) We learned that. Mm. There are now over 24,000 voting members. That's a lot. A lot, but also 24,000, considering how many people work in the television industry. Yeah, I mean... It's surprising. Who gets to vote? So, all voting members get to vote on drama series, comedy series, limited series, television movie... Variety talk series, variety sketch series, reality competition, and short form series. Is this one? Sorry to interrupt your flow. Is yeah. this one of those situations where uh, it's like the Academy Awards? You can, yes. Okay. You can only yeah, be sorry, a voting member. You can only be a voting member if you have been nominated um, or yeah. won. I think it's, it's nominated, right? Well, if with the Academy, it's if you've been nominated. Or considered to be a master in your field. Right. You get uh, you get the privilege of being able to be a voting member. Yes. It's similar to the... It's basically invitation. Right. In this case. 
frequently it's you've been nominated. You're probably, in the case of this, a lot of the times already a member before you get nominated. So are you able to vote for yourself in these situations? Absolutely. Weird. Well, in any of these cases, you actually can. I guess. For, it's or, just weird. For no. the Academy Awards, you can. For this, you can. Tony's, you can. Tony's, that becomes tricky. You actually technically can if you're already in it. Hmm. Okay. Anyways, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I should say that's uh, not nominating if you're already in it for the Tony's. The nominee committee is only the very select. Right, right. Board. That's what I thought. Yes. And like the Academy Awards, peer groups are the ones who vote on acting, directing, writing, and technical categories. Uh-huh. So if you're an actor, you vote. The acting. If you're a cinematographer, you vote for, for cinematography. Cinema. I mean, that's exactly. the correct way to do it. I totally agree. In 2019, there are over 9,100 submissions for 124 categories. Now, here's something that on the website is very confusing. Okay. Maybe I can help you. The website Talk se- to Daddy. seems to indicate that nominations come first, and then the nominated people and the series choose which episodes they want to be considered for. Now, um, here's, now here's the thing. I don't think it that's is al- true. It has always been my understanding, because I'm a nerd and I pay attention to this yeah. thing, that during the course of a season... An actor chooses, oh, here's the episode I'm submitting. And then that's the one episode that voters have to look at in order to choose. Supposedly, this is a new rule that's changed and that people just vote for an actor or some or directing or something like that based off of what they want to do. But that doesn't make sense to me. And that here's seems why. counterintuitive. Well, it also doesn't make sense to me. And here's why. Actors, maybe that's a possibility. Maybe. Maybe. However, directors, writers... Every technical position gets nominated for a specific episode. Yeah. And like you will also, you know, I'll break it down. Yeah. TV series don't always have the same director. No, they don't I, always have the same writer. Which is why also. Like, so you would choose yeah. what you're submitting. You can't be like, well, I, I like Will and Grace. So and I, this is a bad example because the per- same person directs. James Burroughs directs all the episodes. Right. I got it. I like Pose. Okay. The. And I go, I like Pose. I want to nominate it. Mm. And you're like, which episode? And you're like, I don't know. And you say, I like this episode. This is my favorite episode. Mm-hmm. But is this your favorite writing episode? Is this your favorite directing episode? So if you look at the nominations this year, like, for instance, Game of Thrones, it got like three separate directing nominations for three separate episodes. Okay, so here's the rule about directing. We don't have to go into all these things. But for things about directing and writing, you can, as a director, say, for instance, on uh, oh for let's just say Will and Grace. Okay. Well I, D- I, let's just say James Burroughs directed a lot of episodes that people liked. He directed he directs no, no, every episode, but I know. whatever. What I'm saying. Say for instance, they're they want to nominate him for three episodes. They can't. You can only be nominated once per category. Once per category for one show. Okay. If he also directed a different TV show, he could be nominated twice but for okay. different shows. So when it comes to something Which like that makes sense. Yeah. So when it comes to something like Game of Thrones the same show can be nominated. It could fill the entire slot because as they... long as they have different directors for each one. If you directed multiple episodes of Game of Thrones, you could only be nominated for one of them. See, this seems so backwards to me. It makes sense to me in a lot of ways because it's basically the idea of what is this one director's best episode of this one show. Sure, but a counterargument. Right. It then says, well, if we like this show, we'll just nominate all the directors. Which is kind of what they did this year. I, 
I didn't look at them because I'm not a nerd like you. But part of it for me is like, that's not totally fair. It's fair in in shows. There are certain shows that each episode feels like it's supposed to be directed by a different person. Mm-hmm. So they have like different feels, different styles, different ideas. Rather than like a house style. Correct. Whereas if you have like, uh, we'll use Game of Thrones as an example. Because we're going to be talking about this Every Game of Thrones episode feels like, a, for the most part, feels like a Game of Thrones episode. Right. Because they've created a vocabulary. Obviously, some people come in and they have to basically do all fight scenes, but it still is all in the same world. Of- yeah. And they frequently have like, for, in the case of uh, maybe a whole season, one cinematographer. So, so it, it looks the same. It all looks the same. It feels the same. Yeah. That's- you might have a lot of the same technical team doing a lot of things. But yes, that's basically what happens. In terms of submissions, an individual achievement, actor, writer, and everything, can submit an individual episode, as we just said. A drama or comedy series, it used to be that they submitted three episodes. Right. Now it's six. Why? That could be a whole series. Yes. Now it really can. That they they now submit six episodes for them to be considered as a whole. That that's crazy to me. Like I look at and I'll use HBO as an example again. Los Spookies. I haven't watched it yet, I'm really interested. They have six episodes a season. Mm-hmm. They could literally submit, submit their, their entire, entire show. Yeah. His Dark Materials is coming out. Each season is only going to be eight episodes. Right. They can submit everything. I think Fleabag is only like six or eight episodes too. It is. It, that's crazy that they can but that they've expanded it that much. It's the reason why I think a lot of those shows are starting to do well in the Emmys mm. is because they're for, able to well, for instance, look at a show like West Wing. There is an arc, but there's a lot it's a lot of standalone episodes. Sure. And you could basically gauge a show's strength on whatever three episodes they choose to show. Mm-hmm. A show like Fleabag, it's an it's ep- harder to I, I guess and i you, understand and now you could see a whole arc of a show in the same thing like that's kind of amazing it is but it's also i feel like a double-edged sword in that respect mm-hmm. yeah because i don't yes i think right now it's interesting to have Agreed. these shows that only have eight ten six episodes mm-hmm. but i think it's going to be exploited it is it's definitely going to be and so let's take a moment to, before we go into the specifics about a final season of a show. This is going to be one of the very few times I'm going to commiserate with a voting body on this. Hmm. So, Oscars. You are you have to watch so many movies, right. but it's rare that a movie is going to be longer than three hours that's going to be submitted. Sure. If, if you're watching a play, there's only, especially on three Broadway. Hours, especially usually. on Broadway, but there's also so few things. Right. For a TV show. If you've submitted six episodes. Not even just six, but just think about just nowadays. When it was originally three networks that only had primetime. ABC, NBC, CBS. Yes. They're only looking at primetime. There was only so much you had to deal with. Now you've got now you have the three networks. You have every basic, basic cable, cable plus premium cable plus, plus streaming. Yeah. it And so many of those things are releasing things. To the point where even if you were just to look at just streaming, I don't know if you'd be physically able to watch every show. No, you couldn't. I mean, what? there is so much that I want to watch that I, that I, the person that has a lot of free time, yeah. aside from all the busy stuff I do, but that I'm able to do at home. Right. Like, it, it's crazy. And now imagine that a show came out that because you have to edit your time into what you're watching, that at first did not interest you. Yeah. 
And then you find out three seasons later, oh, it's actually a really good show. And you go, well, now I have to catch up while following everything else. I have to catch up I, everything I, else to get I to this. I can't start on season four. I can't start on season three of Breaking Bad. No. I have to go back and watch these other things in order to catch up. Yeah. It is, in this day and age, it they have Emmys have not been able to figure out a way to do the Emmys. Well, and they're not paying people to be on the voting or nominating no, committees. No, these are not right? their full-time job. Yeah, that's crazy. No, in fact, the However, people who vote are working professionals who are doing, when they're on a show, 12, 16-hour days. However, if you want to pay me to be a TV watcher... I will do that. I am already doing that. Just pay me, please. Yeah. Be prepared, though. I'm going to nominate things like Big Brother, The Challenge, Are You, are you really? The One? No, I'm <laughs> kidding. No. No, I'm not. I would. It would be things like Fleabag. Yeah. And maybe the other two. But that wasn't as funny. The other two is great. Yeah. Which didn't get any Bojack Horseman. Yeah. Uh, did it get love? Bojack? Yeah. It got a nomination for animated series. Big Mouth? Yep. Great. Archer? No. It wasn't eligible, I don't think. Sunny? No. Not, not, not never. A single, not a single never. nomination. Never. <laughs> it's always Sunny in Philadelphia. We'll never get anything that they. It, well, let's talk about, like, in, okay. in, no, just in that case. They that show's been on for fifteen no thirteen thirteen years. years thirteen years it's very unlikely that if they're not already watching it that they're going to start watching of it. course so that show at this point is already like this out which is crazy to me though it is but this is what I'm going to go into in Turk talking about a show's final season okay sorry so, we have to get there I know we have to get there so sorry y'all so there are, there's a number of different patterns a show can take in how it relates to the Emmys. One is the Emmys are early adopters of them, and uh. the first season gets so many nominations, and then it stays in their line of sight because for a they've while. just already nominated. It's easier, like, well, we already watched these episodes. Yeah. Sure, we liked well, it. Yeah, we'll continue watching the new Adventures of Old Christine. Uh, sh- who watched that show? Who I know, no one who watched that show. I think I've seen one single episode. Oh my god, I know, and I love her, but yeah. I had no it. Like, no interest in watching that show. Yeah. Was it on CBS, probably? It was. So, we can go into the specifics, but there's a couple different patterns. One is, they start off on a high, and even if they stop winning, like, best series, it's still always in their intention. Right. Modern Family. Well, no. Modern Family this year got hardly any nominations. Oh, thank God. So, this was the final season of Modern Family, and it got hardly anything. Then, this is also the season of Game of Thrones. And it got everything. Which, its first year... It only got like three, I feel like. Its first year, it got 13 nominations, including Best Series, but it only won two for Peter Dinklage Uh and for Main Title Design. And Peter Dinklage was one of the few acting nominations, I'm pretty sure. He was the only acting nomination the first year. So a little small little note, it it did not get nominated for Main Title Music, which is- That's insanity. Which is insanity. It It won Main Title Design, which great- However, because of this year, they decided to tweak the main title design. It also got nominated for that. No. Yep. No, no, yep. no, no. It's the same. It's the same <laughs> title design. No, that doesn't count. <laughs> and all of these places have been used before. That's no. That's not okay. Like, Natchez, Atchez, Tutu Ray. That's not okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it got 32 nominations this year. The most nominations of any ever. show ever. Period. Because it got a, literally a thousand acting nominations. By, but the most nominations by a lot. Oh my gosh. So there's a show like that, which did well its first season. 
all things considered. I guess. It's a fancy show. The Emmys Yeah, it's hate high genre. And so, you know what? It got nominated for Best Series, and now it's this juggernaut. Where's Legion, though, Christopher? Legion's not been nominated for one single Emmy its entire run. If you're not, nonsense. If you're not watching Legion, let me tell you about Legion. It's a great <laughs> show, and even if you don't like the story, the technical aspects are brilliant. Yeah. Anyways, continue. Okay. Okay. Then there are shows that start off very low on the Emmy visibility. Parks and Rec. Okay, well, let's talk about Parks and Rec. So Parks and Rec, the first season and the second season kind of blend together in terms of sure. the podcast. The first season, Amy Poehler got nominated. She did? Yep. Okay. She got nominated, if you discount the fact that first and second season happened at the same eligibility time, okay. she got nominated for every season. I I feel like I didn't realize that. I felt like she got shafted because she never well, won. That's the thing. So Because Veep was on the same time. Yep. So this is the other thing. So even if a show doesn't necessarily win best show hmm. oh and let me just real finish so she got nominated for every season the third season it got nominated for like a couple other little things as well so as it went on it did get nominated for awards here and there like writing and stuff especially in season yeah. four it got two writing nominations but it wasn't until its final season that it felt like for some reason people are like paying attention to it well not just paying attention but like oh remember this show this show is really good we should maybe give it stuff it won nothing. <laughs> Parks and Rec's entire run has won zero Emmys. Crazy. But everyone assumed, and this is just fun, its final season coincided with the final season of Mad Men. Oh, gosh. Which won its first four seasons. Yeah. And then, but at, by the final season, Amy Poehler had never won an Emmy, and John Hamm had never won an Emmy. And they actually hosted... The Emmys right. loser party. I remember this every, every year, every year, because they were like, "Well, this is not going to happen." This but is then fun. John Hamm did win his final season. So the final season, Mad Men finally decided to do, and this is a, something that happens a lot. They decided, you know what, John Hamm deserves to have an Emmy for the the season right. uh, for the for show. the body of work for the body of work. So they give it to him because he's a white straight man. Speaking of which, the same thing happened to Kyle Chandler for. Friday Night Lights. He, uh, he won for Best Lead Actor in his final season as well. Where's the gay men being represented? Where's the white, the straight women being represented? I mean, there are some straight women who get. I'm some, kidding. Yeah. I'm just saying that these two people basically were like they deserve Emmy. They're like the Leonardo DiCaprio's <laughs> oh, dear. of yeah network television. Yeah. So there's that. There's the show that doesn't pick up like who has a gradual arc where it. It gets really uh, nominated midway through its run, and then it trails off and disappears. Breaking Bad? No, uh, oh, okay. like X-Files, for instance. Oh, okay. But my but, thing is- But Breaking Bad had the thing of, it only got three nominations its first year, and then by its last year, it wasn't winning a lot, but it was winning all the big ones. Right. I'm sorry. Hasn't Charlie Sheen and John Cryer won like a ton of awards for Two and a Half Men? John Cryer won one. Okay. For a lead after Charlie Sheen left for that first season. With Ashton Kutcher? Yep. Where they put him in the lead. And basically, they seemed like they gave him an Emmy, but were going, good job. You for, stuck with You this. put up with you, you, him. We now know what you had to deal with, and we are so sorry. Oh, my gosh. For an episode where he literally said, duh, winning. No. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, Charlie Sheen never won for it, but he got okay. nominated a lot. That's what I mean, though. That show got nominated like a ton. Well, just that, like uh, Big was, Bang Theory gets nominated a ton. I feel like CBS for some reason gets nominated a lot on the Emmys, and yeah. is it because it's old people? It is. Okay. Yeah. Not oh God, not to be disparaging. It is. But, the, it is. But, the, it yeah, is the station it, of. It is. It is ne- the station for old people, and is the station that is. It's the highest watched network. On yeah, because television. people die when they're watching it, Christopher. <laughs> That's why it's the highest watched network television. No, I'm not. People saying, literally not, die I'm, in a hospital. It's what all hospital TVs are stuck at. <laughs> CBS. Yeah. No one watches. Who's watching CSI Cyber? No one. <laughs> no one we know. Jag. Least. How is Jag yeah. still on? And the final category I was going to say is a show that just never really seems to get attention uh-huh. enemies. Like, for instance, It's Always Sunny. Sure. What, what's funny is when I was looking at people doing critiques of this, when people are doing critiques of the nominations that just came out, yeah. my favorite detail is multiple reporters. And by the way, it's their job to follow television, who cited that, isn't it great that they decided to nominate Chits Creek on its final season? It's not its final season. It's not its final season. It has season. one more season. They have another season that hasn't started airing yet. Oh, my gosh. But it was like, the isn't that good for them? They got some nominations on their way out. They only got four nominations. To be fair, still- this is a field where Billy Bush was considered a person of it. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, way to bring things down. That's what I do. So, I mean, is there anything that's coming up for you about like. Well, I've learned that I'm weirdly the most passionate i feel like this is the most passionate i've gotten about an award i think you're like you enjoy movies you do i do enjoy movies but you do watch more tv than you do i watch so much tv and not in the like i just sit here on the couch and like consume tv no you engage i really do engage and and i engage across like genre right i love give me legion give me fleabag give me are you the one? Which this season? Oh my! Oh my if God! You, if you're if not you watching, watching, are you the one? Come one, come all. <laughs> Which is the actual subtitle? It of is it. the subtitle of it. It's it a gender fluid. It it's, should have been the name of the show. It's a gender fluid dating show, and it's amazing and brilliant, and actually so well done and sensitive. But then I also watch things like all you know. I've watched Agents of Shield. I watch animated shows. Yeah. I watch Japanese shows. I watch children like Steven Universe. I watch. But then I also, you know, watch the HBO. Like I actually, yeah. I in some ways, I think my taste in TV is far broader than it is in movies, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. Even though I find the Emmys exceedingly boring. Yeah, I mean, what something I always find very fascinating is I feel people legitimately forget what ha- when they're voting on a season, what happened in the season they're actually voting mm-hmm. on, because it's almost impossible for some reason. For instance. I mean, uh, See, actually, we could the- talk about a show like Seinfeld. Okay. Which Friends is also a good example. Oh, Friends is also okay. Let's talk about Friends yeah. specifically, where huge fan base, incredibly popular show, exceedingly, mm-hmm. arguably one of the most popular shows in the Ever. history of television. They have a very like interesting relationship with the Emmys. What would you guess? Like how many Emmys they won, got nominated? A lot. For, what would be there? Didn't almost every one of the cast members win? Five out of the six cast members got nominated. Oh. Only two have won. Lisa Kudrow. Yes. Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox has never been nominated. Jennifer That's, Aniston won. I was going to say Jennifer Aniston. Yes. Yeah. How was Courtney Cox never nominated? Because, okay. Because, because a rewatch of that show. <laughs> Netflix just spent a billion trillion dollars to keep this on Netflix. 
Courtney Cox does a great job. Granted, am I always leaning towards Lisa Kudrow? Yes. If you've yeah, never seen the comeback, watch the comeback. Talking about a show. Show that's ne- wasn't nominated? Okay. It, she got nominated for both seasons of it, but nothing else about the show. Great. It was his sole no, I thought, um, I thought the Mickey, the, guy, the man who played Mickey nope. got nominated. Nope. That's crazy to me. I know. So <sighs> let's just talk about the history of Friends at the Emmys. This will be real fast. I have it written out. Okay. The first season, it got nominated for nine uh, Emmys, including Best Series, won zero. Second season, got nominated for three, including Best Series, and it only won for one for directing for the Super Bowl. James Burrow? No, somebody else at that point. Oh. He only did the first season. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. He guided most of the first season and then said, okay, good. I'm going to go work on something else. Will and Grace. <laughs> Not yet, but soon. Third season one nomination for Lisa Kudrow, and she lost. Fourth season, one nomination for Lisa Kudrow, and she won. Okay, good. Just to be clear, fourth season was the season Ross got married. Which time? To Emily. To Emily. Mm. So this is when it was at maybe its height. Height, yeah. And it wasn't necessarily at its best artistically. No. Especially third season. Third season was rough. Yeah, it was garbage. Um, Fifth season, six nominations, including series, zero wins. Sixth season, eight nominations, including series, one win for Bruce Willis as guest actor. <laughs> Seventh season, five nominations, zero wins. Eighth season, 11 nominations, two wins for best series and for Jen- Jennifer Aniston for lead. Ninth season, 11 nominations, including series, one win for Christina Applegate as guest actress. Guest actress is Rachel's sister. Last season, seven nominations, zero wins. So the show is entire huh. run. Only won like five. Won one best directing, one supporting actress, one guest actor, one guest actress, one series, and one lead actress. So like six. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. That's insane, actually. Yeah. Especially when you compare it to the modern Emmys where it's like shows win literally 20 awards seemingly in a night. Yeah. Huh. Although, to be fair, even uh, last time uh, Game of Thrones was eligible for Emmys. It got nominated for 21 and only won nine. That's still a huge percentage, it's, though. No, it's still it's compared so to like compare out compared to friends. Yeah. And both are like cultural, like touchstones of TV. I think mm-hmm. it won almost half as opposed to like Fair, quarter barely, barely. But then again, and I'm only going to touch on this briefly. West Wing, its first four seasons where Aaron Sorkin was in charge of it. Its first season got nominated for 18 and it won nine. Including Best Series. That's crazy. Second season, it got nominated for 18 and won eight, including Best Series. Third season, it got 21 nominations and then won for four. I mean, but whatever. You've already won 18 awards. Including Best Series. Next year, it nominated for 15 with two wins for Series and Direction, and that's his last season. And from then on, it only won three awards total for the rest of its run. Whatever. They won a, a ton of awards. They did. But what I mean is, like, some shows... The Emmys basically make it clear, we love this thing. Hmm. Oh, and since we're talking about the last season, the last season of West Wing, it got nominated for six, including Best Series, but I felt that was like residual love sure. from its good old Wouldn't days. Wouldn't you say, though, that's a, a, a theme with last series of shows? Well, that's the thing. There's a lot of the case where we used to love this show, so we'll keep, the, like, Modern Family, not this season, but after it started getting worse and worse and yeah. worse. They kept nominating it, and it was called the residual nomination right. by so many people. It was already it was like grandfathered into the nomination. Yeah, it was at this point where nobody agreed that it was actually one of the best shows on television. But no one wanted to watch anything else. <laughs> or they just felt bad. 
Mm. Or maybe it was losing face. Maybe it was we gave Modern so Family many awards. We gave Modern Family best series five years in a row from its first season. It's crazy. How can we admit the show is no longer good? That would make us look bad. Yeah. Which because nothing really like quote changed. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, what we discovered this episode was I weirdly care about TV more than I've cared about anything else in my life. Hmm, but to be interesting. fair, interesting. To be fair, I was a I, shall use I was a child of the nineties and yeah. the late eighties, early you know nineties. I was a child that's engaged with TV. Yeah, constantly. Yeah, because we stole basic cable. I was about to say, who did you steal cable from? Oh, some some family member put it on us on our TV. Uh-oh. But then we lost it for years. Like I grew up watching like Nickelodeon Disney Channel, and then we lost it for years. <laughs> and then it came back somehow. I don't know. I'm not a cable expert, but I watched a lot of TV growing up. A lot of TV, and not all of it VH1 reality shows. No, that was only later in life. So if you enjoy this podcast, I suggest you check out our other family of podcasts from Thwarp Inc. That's T H W O R P I N C. Like Podleadum, which is America's Next Top Model recap podcast where me, Hannah Shankinsberg, and J.W. Crump go episode by episode all the way from the beginning. We've just began. We're just yes, about to begin. We're just starting it um, now. Cycle five, which is the cycle of Twiggy. No more Janice Dickinson. No, no lay. We have uh, Twiggy and Miss... and then Boo. Yeah. I mean, we sorry, have, Boo and then Yay. We have Twiggy and Miss J on the judging panel. And Lisa D'Amato, that, you know, the girl <laughs> who talks to plants. She's... I forgot that was her. Yep. She's this cycle, <laughs> and uh, it's it's great. You can catch up on those episodes. You can also listen to the B-Cast, and I say the B-Cast because it's not family-friendly, which this podcast is. But if you search Thwarp Inc., that's T-H-W-O-R-P-I-N-C, wherever you listen to podcasts, you'll be sure to find all of our podcasts. So please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast and our other podcasts, and tell your friends. You know, everyone knows a sensitive young boy that wants to learn about uh, award shows. Chris was that boy. I yeah. was not that boy. I just watched them. I, was I wasn't say, a nerd about it. You you could, the little boy who loves watching TV or the boy who loves learning what's inside the tubes. There's a little girl that, you know, is all about the science of atoms. I don't know. We talked about <laughs> who, atoms who, today. Who could correct us about those? <laughs> but you should tune in. Please correct us. But for It's an Honor Touch to be podcasted, I'm Alexander Price. And I'm Christopher Basile, and I'll steal your cable anytime. Oh, Bye. Bye.